0: What's going on, my friend? Welcome back to MPI Radio. I'm your host, James Allen, here to help you make your own massive positive impact in the world. And sometimes I like to call upon my friends to help me help you make your own massive positive impact in the world. So today we have a very special guest. Today is Louis Sonstegard and it's Lois, Lois Lois Sonstegard, forgive me. Uh, But she is a business strategist and an executive coach, and she's been working with business leaders for over 30 years. Um, She's learned that successful people or successful leaders in particular have to do more and become better leaders in what they do, especially with all the changing times. The world is moving so fast, our leaders have to keep up. So Lewis is an expert in helping people with that. She has done some amazing things in the world. She has launched four startup companies, taking a business from startup to a global distribution. Uh, She's done product innovation with 45 patents and trademarks to her name, and she's managing and has managed global teams and uh, focused on building high performing teams. Lois, how are you today?
1: James, thank you so much for the invitation for being on your show with you. What a delight to be with you and your audience.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. It's definitely fitting, you know, doing high performance is what I do. And then you focusing on high performing teams. Um, So you grew up in Japan. Is that correct?
1: I did grow up in Japan. And um, it was a, it really formed and shaped who I am because Mm. I lived there until I was 19 years old.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, like, as a baby, you grew up there. Or you were born somewhere else, and then moved there.
1: From the age of three to nineteen.
0: Three so to nineteen. My
1: my formative years were all in Japan, and very two very different cultures. The I mean, America was my my second culture. I, I learned that one as an adult because at three you don't really know the culture you're you're living in. Sure. And um, so, th- but that has served me very well, James, because it has always allowed me to look at everything from two perspectives.
0: Mm, Powerful. Well, especially being as a coach, I mean, that's massive. So are you fluent in Japanese?
1: I do speak Japanese and I do 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 business in Japan and have for quite a few years.
0: Mm, wow. What is Japan like? Because it's honestly, it's something that's on my bucket list to go see. I just haven't actually done it yet. But I would love to check out Japan and, you know, check out the country of Japan in particular. What was your favorite kind of piece in uh, living in Japan?
1: You know, it's always interesting. People ask me about my favorite of this or my favorite of that. What's it like in Japan? And I, I say to people, well, if somebody asked you as an American, what's it like being in America? or an American, you know, you struggle for that one thing, right? Because it's sure. so innate, it's so much a part of you, you don't mm. really have one thing emerge. But I think one of the things that comes to mind, I see Japan often in the eyes of foreigners uh, because I've taken business people to Japan to look at how do we develop business partnerships, collaborative relationships. Mm. So from U.S., U.S. companies looking to collaborate with Japanese companies and then vice versa. And then looking at how do we structure that and make it work. And so I had this group of very distinguished people. We were on the very fast train, Japan, the bullet train. Mm-hmm. And um, we were going from uh Osaka to Tokyo and all the seats are reserved and the gentleman next to one of the Americans that was on our delegation the Japanese man got off at this one station and another person came on sat down but before he sat down he saw there was 10 yen in the seat that's an equivalent to 10 cents Hmm. he picked the 10 yen up held it in his hand until the conductor came through which was quite some time and when the conductor came he handed the 10 yen to the conductor and he said you have a list of the passengers because this is a reserved seat please return this 10 yen to the man who sat in the seat before me unbelievable you know, in most cultures, if you had something as insignificant as $0.10, cents, you would dismiss it, pick it up, add it to your billfold, and move on, thinking sure. nothing of it. Japanese have an incredible sense of integrity and responsibility to the corporate group. And that's just a small example of how they look at life. And so for me, it was, a, it, it was it's a precious precious culture and has so much to teach us. You will love it. If you go there and lots of places to see lots of wonderful places to see and things to do.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It sounds great. I'm definitely, definitely going to have to cross that off of my list uh, coming up. Well, of course when things open up, it's kind of strange times right now. So you focus on working with teams, building high-performing teams, What has been your experience with COVID with the whole pandemic and everything before and after? Have you know, like what were some of the biggest changes that you noticed? What were some things that stayed pretty much the same and what you've experienced?
1: I think COVID will fundamentally change us uh, in terms of how we work. And I was just reading some research actually this morning on what did happen with COVID relative to how we organize ourselves at work and there's a lot of debate will we remain hybrid will we not remain hybrid will we all go back to the workplace will we all remain remote well I think probably we'll have a combination of any of those depending on the organization and there's a lot of issues that come out of it how do we stay connected in a hybrid situation What are the advantages in terms of having a larger global reach? Now, as a company, I can hire from anywhere in the world. In August, I was doing some work in Israel, and the director of HR of a very large IT company was incredibly proud because she had just hired talent from another country. And she said, I don't have to pay visa. I don't have to pay Any of the things that Hmm. we normally would have to pay, bringing somebody in, you'd have to pay relocation costs. She said, now with COVID and working at home, I can hire from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. I can get the best talent anytime I want. That has its positives. The positives, you can always look for the best talent. The negatives is rather than looking around us at the talent pool, That talent pool is now in competition, not with just your own locale or region. Mm -hmm. You're in competition with the whole world. So our eyes have to become broader. We have to see more. We have to understand things differently. And we have to understand how things are done differently in other cultures. And communication becomes a huge part of that. How are we going to communicate in that global context because English tends to be the the language we resort to because mm-hmm. it's the common language across nations. However, it's not the mother tongue of most of the countries that are going to be collaborating.
0: Mm, definitely. So um, yeah, that's really interesting. What do you what has been kind of like your big focus on keeping, I mean, I don't really know your specific role when you're working with the companies, but in terms of companies keeping like workplace culture and keeping kind of good vibes within the employees and relationships and whatnot, how has that been different with COVID?
1: COVID, it's, people will tell me, managers will tell me they are working much harder to keep people connected they're spending much more time in communication so they're putting more hours into work um that is has a negative because Mm -hmm. now instead of controlling your time you're spending more time it does take effort i think we're finding people are using creative ways to bring people together and it's not just having Let's play bingo together and have wine at five Mm o'clock. It's more than that. We're beginning to, one company told me what they're doing is they'll bring their team together on a Zoom conference call. But the first 15 minutes, the team is broken into small groups, small pairs generally. And the purpose of that is to talk about what was their weekend, what are their challenges, what do they need support with. Mm -hmm. right so they're they're using their meeting time to connect and then coming back and conducting the business that's one one company solution another company was doing it by having people go around and share you know one thing i'm working on one thing i need help with and then negotiating who was going to facilitate or help with that so there was an exchange of that process So we're going to have to be creative. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a lot of really interesting models emerging in terms of how do we collaborate? How do we build trust when we are in a hybrid model? And I think we're going to be, trust is always, always fundamental to team development, right? And so for me, one of the models that I look at that I've really uh, enjoyed is Marshall Goldsmith's um, model that he uses in terms of having teams work together. And in that model, basically what you do is you ask your colleague, like we could be a, a small group, for example, and I'll say to you, James, what's one thing I could do to improve what I'm doing so we can get this task done on time and above expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And you may give, give me one, two, three things and no argument. You simply say, thank you. And you move to the next person on the team, a group. Mm-hmm. So you may have what whatever the number is. And each one does that. It's not just one person. Each person on the team does that with each other. So you each have several suggestions. Then you go back, you look at the suggestions. Okay, of these, what's my priority? One, two, three things I'm going to do. And you list it out, put together an action plan on how you're going to go about doing it. And you go back to your team. Thank you very much for your suggestions. This is what I prioritized out of it. This is what I'm committed to do my action plan. Mm -hmm. Then your responsibility to just come back and say, how did I do? Right? and to get feedback that doesn't require a lot of trust while you're building trust you can use a model like that and i think in this collaborative hybrid world where things are fluid it's a great model to use right now
0: yeah no i like it i like it too because i think a big thing that people kind of struggle with is taking on feedback you know, it's, it's just kind of, cause being told like where you can improve, not everybody has a kind of mental resilience to take on that. And they take things personally, you know, but the thing about feedback is that you don't have to say, you don't have to do everything that people are giving you feedback for, you know, it, like, I like that model because they get to kind of write down and decide for themselves, like, which one do I feel, you know, that really makes sense to me that I really do need to work on, or maybe they do have to kind of like take a harder look at being honest with themselves, but I love teams, you know, just human connection, because like you said, like trust is that fundamental thing in an intimate relationship or a marriage, it can't last without trust. And it's the same thing with a team because it's human connection, human relationships. Um, So yeah, I find that, that being really cool. I don't know if you've like looked into, or if you, you have teams that are using Voxer very much to stay in touch with team members. Do they go ahead?
1: People are using lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. Slack is, has I Slack. Think been a huge thing. Boxers, certainly people have been using it. I think it just depends on the group and the organization. Here's sure. the other thing I think with hybrid groups and building teams is looking at the whole communication process. Let's say you've got a global team. You've got people from all over the world and you're trying to get a project done. And I was in um, Hong Kong with a group of people where we're working on a product distribution. So um, it's, it's a product, it's an item that we were getting out to market. We had somebody from Japan, we had somebody from Taiwan, somebody from Korea, somebody from the mainland China and somebody from Hong Kong that were involved in this and myself in the meeting. English was the language we were using. And as we the meeting was progressing, I thought there's something strange about our communication. We are not intersecting in our communication. It's like we're going parallel to one another. And we're not really communicating or connecting. So I stopped and I said, I'm just curious, where did each of us learn our English? Well, one had gone to Cambridge, learned his English in the UK. One had gone to Boston, learned his English there. One had gone to California, LA, learned his English there. Another to Australia. So we had just, you know, everybody had learned their English in a different place. But the idioms are different. How we use language language is different, even within the English language. So they were each speaking from their perspective of what English was. Mm -hmm. But it was, unless you paused and said, okay, when the Brits say that, this is what they're meaning, right? Mm -hmm. When people in Boston say that, this is usually the context for that. And so we make assumptions, we communicate, we're communicating in English. We Mm -hmm. think we're understanding because it's words that we understand. But the meaning behind those words may not be the same Mm
0: -hmm. and it
1: was a phenomenal lesson for me to just sit back and say okay am i really hearing what people are saying Mm -hmm. and and if we're not the intended outcome of the meeting may miss the mark right and you know a lot of times we come out of meetings we come out of groups and we go wow what happened I thought we were in agreement right mm. and I thought we understood and and that's why because um, language isn't always as simple as we like to think it is speaking in English isn't necessarily the easiest way to solve everything we need oh, a yeah. common language but we need to understand there's differences within that
0: yeah, well, even I mean, even when I publish videos on YouTube, for example, and you select the language of the video, which is like an, one of the advanced features, you can go through all these different languages and then you get to English, and there's about five different options for English, and everything else is just one. So it's really it's incredible, you know, especially when you're doing those kind of big deals. And I think that's such a great skill set for leaders and I mean coaches, of course. It's kind of like if you want to be a great coach, it's a given to listen to the words behind the words or the words that aren't being really said you know and i think it's massive in those kind of deals that you're uh, that you're kind of talking about what what kind of um for a leader that would be listening to this and maybe doesn't have an executive coach or maybe they're thinking about it or something and they want to just kind of develop skill sets maybe they do and they still want to develop the skill set what's kind of like your tips i would i guess for listening to the words behind the words when you're in those kind of big meetings like that
1: so I look at a lot of different things. I look at what's people's eye patterns? What's their speech? How fast are they speaking? What's, is it high-pitched? Is it low-pitched? It, has it changed from their normal pattern? Um, I'm, I really evaluate on many different levels as I'm listening. So I listen to the words, but I listen to a lot of, a lot of things. Because what we say isn't always what we intend. Mm -hmm. um and we want people to read between the lines and understand i think one of the things that happens with that we're with with the hybrid model is we're beginning to realize we have to be very clear in our communication You, you can't guess at what the person is saying we we have to be able to own what the communication is be honest and deliver it clearly, right? And if we don't, we're going to have we're we're going to have problems. We're going to have misses. We're going to mm-hmm. have people going back being very frustrated. And here is that also a issue that emerges culturally. It also emerges between men and women. Men tend to be have much easier time being direct, whereas women <clears throat> will be more gentle. They'll Mm -hmm. kind of put it out there and let it kind of simmer often. And then they worry about their voice not getting heard. When we're in the hybrid model and you have one meeting, perhaps, to get your opinion across, you've got to make sure it's gotten across. You don't have time to inch people into your opinion or gently Mm -hmm. guide them. You're going to have to guide them. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things we're going to have to learn and learn how to do it in a tasteful, respectful way that honors, honors each other.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Trust and respect the foundation of healthy relationships and teams of relationships. Uh, have you read the book, the four agreements?
1: No, I have not.
0: Oh, Oh, really? Oh, you're talking about not making assumptions and all these things. I was like, she must've read the four agreements. If you have not highly recommend. I read that book. Um, when I was 17, it was like the book that transformed my life and began to transform my life. And it's still my foundation today. It's also Tom Brady's foundation who Patriots, uh, or he was the Patriots, um, quarterback. And now he's on the Buccaneers, what he's on. But anyway, it's by Don Miguel Ruiz, phenomenal book, but the four agreements are be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make any assumptions and always do your best. And it's so good for just individuals and also teams because teams are just collection of individuals. But everything you're talking about, not making assumptions. If people don't feel that they are clear, then asking questions is how you avoid making assumptions. If you're not 100% clear, just have the courage to actually ask questions until you do have clarity but you ask in a way of being impeccable with your words. So there are four agreements, but they all spill in together, you know, and like doing your best spills into all of them because you do your best to be as clear as you can, but it's such a powerful, powerful book. And I think it would really support you and these teams as well. Um, you said in your bio, I didn't read good. ahead. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I was just
1: going to add to that, James. Yeah. I was doing some work with um, Gary Varshaw, who is a baseball player, was a baseball player with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now he's a scout mm. for them. And he talks a lot about Jim Leland as a manager. He evidently, people who played under him just adored him as a manager, not because he was kind and gentle, he was ruthless. And, um, brazen in his comments but he knew each player differently and he Mm. talked to them based on what he knew of them and what would how they would respond so you know i think that's the other big takeaway that i learned is that as leaders coaches we need to really know the people so we can speak to them specifically it isn't a one-all thing you know, one size fits all, we really have to adjust and adapt.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I love that. I mean, even in a group setting or with one-to-one, you know, just me thinking about my clients, like I have specific folders for everybody and I review those folders when we're going to do our calls, you know, so I can obviously just keep it fresh and top of mind, but yeah, everybody has such a unique story. And I think that's really big for, because like human connection with teams and everything, a great leader is someone who really connects with, or it's one of the main traits of someone who connects with their team members. And if you can have that, that skill set of being able to connect with them individually, that's powerful because it's it like, I, I, I don't know if you know much of John C. Maxwell. Have you read much of his books? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 25 ways to win with people is one of his books. One of my favorite books It's a phenomenal book, but I think every leader should read that book for sure. And anything else by John C. Maxwell. He is the man. Um, but there's this one saying inside of that where it says, imagine that every person that you meet or talk to has a sign hanging over their neck that says, make me feel important. Yeah. And it's true. You know, so it's like, it doesn't matter what stage you're at, even with your little kid who's maybe like nine years old or something, they have that sign too. Or if it's, someone just passing by or the store clerk or the waitress that you go get some food at the restaurant, you know, and there's a server. Everybody's got that sign that says make me feel important, including team members. So I love that about that one coach. Um, I love like watching movies and reading articles about great coaches, especially sports coaches, because it spills into our kind of coaching, you know, coaching is a very broad term now. But um, yeah, that's that's a massive, massive piece to leadership. You said... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to ask some questions, but yeah, go for it.
1: Along with, I think a really important one is letting people know that you know what their strengths are.
0: Mm.
1: Because one of the things that I find sad is when you're dealing with somebody who's been working for 20, 30 years, and you say something about using this particular strength, And they go, oh, I didn't know that that was a strength, right? Mm. So many of us have have gone through the academic world where we spent a lifetime fixing our weaknesses, that we don't think about our strengths. And so we take them for granted, and we keep fixing the weaknesses. But then you don't use your strengths to your advantage, And and actually, what Gallup has found is that when we focus on our strengths, rather than the weaknesses, the weaknesses actually begin to improve.
0: Mm, Just by focusing on the strengths.
1: Just focusing on the strengths. Yeah. It is so much more pleasant.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, it's like um, Raymond Halliwell's book, Working with the Law, One of the Laws of Success or the Universe, whatever you want to call it. Uh, He kind of refers to either one is the law of praise. And that's a huge one to praise people and to praise yourself as well. You know, um, yeah, very, very powerful in John C. Maxwell's 25 ways to win with people. He talks about that as well. Like a great practice that I thought about actually, I was like, wow, that'd be really cool to practice. And I started practicing, started seeing awesome results. And then I read 25 ways to win with people and he actually talked about it, but gave it a different name called the 32nd rule. So it's a great practice for anybody listening to practice, the law of praise is within that first 30 seconds of you meeting someone, you acknowledge them in some way, you encourage them in some way. And it could be something like maybe someone in your workplace did a great job on a project of some kind, or they just got some promotion and you acknowledge them and you praise them for their efforts, you know, or maybe someone just has nice hair that day, or they have nice earrings, you know, um, or wearing something nice or they're have a great voice. If it's the first time you've met them or they have a great presence to them, you just acknowledge that and say, Hey, I love like, wow, you got a great voice or something. And something so small like that just gets you in the habit of kind of praising people. And it's diligent practice. Cause we meet people all the time. Like if you're going to go get groceries, you go through a, the line, then you meet the, the clerk, you know, and so on and so forth. But that's a really powerful, really powerful practice that I've used. And it helps you just be more confident too, because when you're praising people, People, they like that. Like you just said, you know, it's like, it feels good to be praised. Everybody wants to. It's like, well, why we're, when we're babies, we're being praised by our parents. Most people, anyway, some people do go through challenges, but we get praised growing up and then we start to become an adult and we don't get as much praise. So when we are able to, as adults praise people, then it's like, kind of reminds us like internally, subconsciously of being like that little kid, getting that praise.
1: Very true. Very
0: yeah. True. Love that. So I did want to ask you, because in your bio, I didn't mention it when I introduced you, but you said that your particular interests right now are addressing two questions. This is what you said in your bio. Uh, The number one question, the first question, and I want to hear your answers. I figure this would be good to add into the interview, is how can we get our businesses to move from survival to thriving?
1: That is That's a fascinating question. And you're right, I'm becoming very passionate about that. Because during COVID, one of the things that I did was I started calling people, I started calling people who were in major corporations, I started calling people who owned M&A companies involved in M&As, and um, consultants to boards of directors of major, major companies. And I said, what do you think is going to happen coming out of COVID? What, What will our businesses look like. And all of them, the consensus amongst all of them was that the very large companies, your fortune five, 150, 500 will all do fine. They've got cash. They will do fine. They will know how to move on. The very small companies are used to barely surviving and running as fast as they can to catch balls before they fall to the ground. They will continue to do that. That's what they know best. They've done it all their business life. And yes, it's stressful. Yes, it's overwhelming. They're used to it. They will continue. The question is, what happens with everything in between?
0: Hmm.
1: And their projections were not um, very uh, promising, The sense was, we don't know, probably we're going to see a lot of failure with everything in between. That's a huge distance between your fortune 500 company and your $1 million about company huge. There's a lot of companies and that's our economic backbone of our country
0: Mm.
1: in terms of business. And so I started looking at that and I said, well, um, who do you think what will allow people to survive and the m and people were the most interesting in terms of response their response was we you're going to have to look for a new cash a new capital and their sense was that new capital would come from collaboration of sorts whatever that would mean So I started doing research on what happened in 1917 with the last pandemic that we had and who survived. And then we had the economic collapse. We had the Great Depression following the pandemic and said, okay, what will happen there? Who survived? Well, one of the people that survived and did incredibly well, he thrived, was Andrew Carnegie. And you Mm -hmm. have to say, how did he do it? Well, he did it by bringing group, uh, uh, about 20 people alongside of him. And they agreed to help each other grow their businesses. They weren't doing exactly the same thing. It was tangential. It was pieces they needed for each other's businesses. So they literally made an agreement to grow each other. By doing that, you need less capital because you can leverage one another. And so I think um, coming out of the pandemic, collaboration is going to be very important. We're going to have to look at how are we going to create a new source of capital that is not just cash like we have generally known it to be. How are we going to create that capital resource to really strengthen companies so that they don't just limp through this next phase but they can thrive. Andrew Carnegie did not did not just limp, he thrived, right? And so we're gonna to have to look at models of how do we do that? And then begin to look at what does that mean and put it together. So that's an area in which I'm gonna start doing research and really begin to pull some of that data together because we need to identify what's it gonna look like so we can really create it.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. I I love the, the whole thing about collaboration. I worked with a mentor and he said together, we got this. And that was like his motto. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. And it really is, you know? So when you talk about collaboration, what, what do you see as the future of collaboration? I, I understand like the currency piece, but to continue off of that, what else do you see?
1: Sure. So collaboration, you're going to have to have a common purpose. You're going to have to have something about which you're working together that will benefit each other right there are people who I think cannot collaborate because they don't have the the mindset to do so there's a the mindset shift that's really necessary to be a good collaborator so I mean what is that I think one of those is you have to be not just competitive you have to be willing humble enough and willing to let other people's also also succeed You know, we're so competitively focused that um, it's very hard for us to see it's okay for you to grow because Mm -hmm. you're not, right? We're afraid if you grow, I'll lose. In the the collaborative model, you don't lose. Actually, you all gain because Mm -hmm. you're leveraging each other to another level. That's Mm -hmm. more than you could attain by doing it alone. So part of it is growing past that sense of of, um, I'm going to lose is getting past that collaborative or competitive ideology that we have. Humility is is in our large part. Also, it's the willingness to adapt. I may see this path as being hugely important, but to grow you, I'm going to just adjust this a little bit. I can adjust. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change a whole lot. May shift a little bit about how I work, but it's worth it to get the energy, the synergy for everybody, right? So there's, there's values that we're going to have to take on and behaviors that we're going to have to take on to make that really work
0: and Mm. work well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think, I mean, for anybody, it's a huge practice to celebrate the success of somebody else, especially if they have the success that you ideally want. You know, because it's about, I'm really big on like energetics. Because if you see someone that has a big win, that's what you want, and you think, oh, how come they got it? Then you have a very like sinking, contractive energy inside of yourself compared to you saying, wow, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you got it, that you won in that way. That's amazing. Maybe they got a great relationship or they got the huge bonus or, you know, their business really took off and yours is still struggling to celebrate the success of another person i think is a is really diligent practice for anybody to practice
1: yeah. i think it also requires us to have a peripheral vision that we've not trained and mm. that is every conversation you have what is it that that company is really doing that that person is really doing that has is adding value and if i worked with them how could that benefit them as well as me
0: mm. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it brings to my mind, like the, um, the whole abundance mindset component, you know, with collaboration, especially it's like that whole thing about you have a pie, you have people, everybody gets a slice, but there's one slice left. Everybody had one, but some people want one more slice. And then the mentality is, Oh, everybody fights for this one piece. Cause it's the last piece when the abundant mindset person says, well, let's just bake another cake or let's cook another pie. And then we can have more you know, and I think that's, I think, yeah, people get, especially when times get tough, like COVID, you really see the kind of culture, um, in just people in general, like your own small little culture, but also like a a country's culture, like take New Zealand, for example, they just buckled down. They're all hanging out right now with their masks off and nobody has COVID and they're diligent because they created strict like rules and guidelines. Everybody followed it. That's kind of it. So it's like, wow, it's a very like, cooperative and healthy country you can say and then there's other countries are just going like ballistic going crazy with everything happening but you like when you get your like the thumb kind of put on you you really see someone's like true character i guess and so if someone really is an abundant person then you get to kind of see that abundance come out in that person when the thumb gets put on them you know and well and the other thing too is that it comes down to like us actually practicing that because we can't really grow mental muscles like spiritual or like actual muscles, like doing curls or a bench press or something. You have to be pushing yourself to stretch in order to actually grow the muscles. And it's the same thing with these mental muscles or spiritual muscles, if you will, about having like an abundance mindset. It's when you have a lack to be able to contain and uh, continue to grow and maintain that abundance mindset that you actually have to practice it. And that's when you're really stretching and growing You know, it's like practicing frameworks for fear that you can know, but you don't really practice them unless you're doing something that scares you. So I think it's a really powerful thing for people to be practicing right now. What's kind of, what's kind of your, like, do you have a framework or some kind of take on, um, helping people collaborate more and kind of keep that abundance mindset?
1: I do. And I'm in the process of refining that as I do research on what's this going to look like. Um, so it will be evolving as I continue to do that. But yes, definitely. I do have a process that I, I look at. I, I just think, James, if we can thrive, why wouldn't we thrive?
0: Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a powerful question. It seems like simple, but at the same time, like, I, I I think that personal development and mental health is so, so important because I grew up in a family where it was non-existent, <laughs> you know, it was out the window. And that's why I fell in love with personal development because I realized like the grass is so much greener on this side than over there. And I think it's huge in business as well, because there's a plenty of people that don't work on having a healthy kind of mindset or, practice forgiveness, you know, and different things. And they have all this like stress or resentment or blame all these different things that correlate to their workforce. Cause people have the tendency, to think that like work is a separate entity compared to their relationships or their life when everything's coincided and it's all around you as an individual. So when you work on you work performance starts to increase as well. And that's when I work with people. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it is like the greed you know, piece of like, Oh no, like if, if they win, then I can't win. And that's just, it's such a constricted lifestyle and it really is more fun in general. It's more relieving, you know, your shoulders kind of relax when um, when you do practice these kind of principles that that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, the other question, we kind of went into it, but um, I'll just kind of say it. It said, how do we tap into the new strategic capital resource of collaboration. In case the viewers listening, thinking you didn't ask the second question, we pretty much just went into it. (laughs) But um, two more questions. Actually, I have number one, we're going to go a little bit over today and I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, like you grew up in Japan when you were 16, moved. And how did you get into executive coaching and whatnot? And when did you kind of realize like what was like the, the piece that really started to take off in your business? Was it a specific company you worked with or yeah, I'm kind of curious about your story a little more.
1: You know, James, I think for me, it's, it's been a, a consistent process throughout my career. Um, I, when I first began in, in my career, it was in healthcare. And what I realized was, um, If you can make people excited and passionate about what they do, you see a different result. And you go, well, of course, that's common sense, right? In this particular situation, I was the head of OBGYN for the University of Minnesota. And part of that was the gynecological cancer unit. And we had a section that was for terminally ill cancer patients. So they were in the end stage of their cancer and the mortality rate was 85%. The amount of discouragement, distress amongst everybody was high. The doctors were exhausted. They didn't have better solutions. The nursing staff was exhausted because people were dying and the, it was morbid and the administration didn't like it because it was losing money. So you know, you go through the list and you go, this is not a good place. And, and it wasn't. So we looked at how do we change it up, we couldn't change treatments, we couldn't change medicines, because it was all all being done. Every experimental thing was being used. How do you change it up? Well, you change it up by refocusing what people how people are approaching things. The first thing was we dealt with the fact that you always prepare for the worst case so you may die let's prepare for that but once we prepared for that now we're living how do we live today tomorrow and and what does that mean what are the pieces so i learned a lot at that time about how do you work with people to begin to shift attitudes mindsets beliefs about what was possible could it be possible that if we approach things differently, we would see a shift in mortality rates. And indeed we did. We saw a dramatic decrease in our mortality rate. And the same was true when I started working with West Texas region, looking at how do you put systems together so that you can build a better health system for women and children. Again, there we had areas in West Texas where the infant mortality, the neonatal mortality rate was much higher than the rest of the country. And we were tasked with how do you decrease it? Well, you don't decrease it by making people wrong or telling Mm. them, giving them their list of everything that's wrong. Mm. You do it by bringing people on board, making them excited, giving them a vision of what could be, Mm. right? And then you begin to systematically support that and create it. So all through my career, there was this sense of, how do you build? How do you create? How do you innovate? How do you motivate? How do you inspire people? And then when I had my manufacturing companies and took the company globally, it's the same issue. How do you get all your distributors around the world excited about your product, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to bring a team behind you. You've got to get people who will be invested in what it is that you're doing. So I think all along, those were my passions and places where I saw success. And I also saw other people that weren't having successes. And I go, you know, you can do it. It's possible if you just have somebody who will come alongside you, coach you, teach you, show you how to to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think so many times, James, and you've probably found this too, that we think, well, we're smart. We can figure this one out, right? Sure. And so, <laughs> we, so we muddle through. And, and, and muddling through does just that. You get a muddled result. And I was fortunate. I had a couple people who really coached me and helped me along in that journey. And I realized you do not do and accomplish great things without somebody coming alongside you, without a group, a team, a coach. We all need it. We just have to admit, be willing to admit that we're not the smartest for our own life. I can see in other people things much better than I can see in my own self. That's just mm. who we are as humans.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I know. I love that. And I think I've listened to interviews and been asked and people ask, do you think everybody needs a mentor? And it's like, not everybody. I don't think so. I think that everybody should have a support system though. Does, could that be a mentor? Sure. And I think it's great to leverage someone who's done things for a decade and then to teach you, you know, in 10 days, as Tony Robbins would say, take a decade's learning into 10 days or 10 weeks. Um, Having a coach is so valuable. Having a support system, a mastermind group is so valuable. I think everybody needs some kind of support. It doesn't have to be a coach. Not everybody needs to have a a coach, but you got to have someone. And that's why coaches are so valuable. Good ones is that they can tell you what you need to hear. Um, when you can't see it yourself, there's a great saying that says, it's hard to see the big picture when you're the one in the frame or another one is a fish doesn't know it's in a fishbowl. And that's what we do. We help leaders see what they cannot see, give them different perspectives, open their eyes to things that they didn't even know were possible. And there's so much value in that. Like I coach CrossFit quick story. And, um, this one woman was doing a push press where you have the bar on your shoulder and you push it above your head. And she was hurting her lower back, which is super common because you want to keep your back upright. And she kept tilting her chest forward, dipping her chest. And when you do that, then you pull back on your lower back to push the weight up. And it's just wonky. It's not good. So I stopped her and I told her about this, told her to fix it up because she had no idea. And then she focused on it more, ended up doing an awesome lift. Didn't feel any back pain, lifted more weight and just all in all did way better, felt better. And she said, that was amazing. Thank you so much. I never would have noticed that if you weren't around. And I said, that's why you have a coach. And as I walked away, I thought that's why everybody should have some kind of coach or support system of some kind, because when I'm doing the same lift, but let's say I'm doing five times as much weight as she is, cause I've been doing it longer and I'm just stronger then I, um, I get to a point where I'm maxing out basically and I start to dip my chest and I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking, I think I'm thinking about it, but I'm still doing it. And that's why I have a coach myself. So they can see when I'm dipping my chest. And I think it's so valuable for teams to be able to notice where we all all are dipping our chest and the more camaraderie that we can have in the workplace and with the teams and whatnot, and the more trust to be able to say what they need to hear, you know, and be honest like the four agreements, I swear, read that book, Lois, it's so good. Um, And it'll really support you and your endeavors. I guarantee it. But if more people could live that way, we would have a much, a much better world. I definitely believe that.
1: I think people want to do their best Yeah, and they want to get the help wise help that will allow them to be the best. Mm -hmm. And why not do it if we can provide that for people? Yep. There's no reason why people shouldn't be able to live and enjoy being the best person that they were intended to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's one last question that I like to ask everybody on the show. So um, it's the one question everybody gets asked here. And the one question is, Louis, what is your MPI? So what's the massive positive impact that you personally want to see, create, or be a part of in this world?
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Here we go. <laughs>
1: I wanna create a gratitude movement. Hmm. And so this is, this is a little bit far out, whether, and it's a, it's a dream. So <clears throat> I want to create a documentary where, but, but the reason for it is I think it's time that we begin to start thinking in big ways and to let people know when we're grateful for things that happen. So let me give Mm -hmm. you the story behind that. Uh, My mother was in a concentration camp during the second world war and in the Philippine Islands. And she talks about how she survived because of what the Filipino people did for them. They risked their lives in order for them to survive. So one of my thoughts behind that is, isn't it time for us to begin to thank one people group to another people group? We take Mm -hmm. it for granted what people do for us. We do it in our families, we do it in our companies, we do it everywhere. But when we intentionally thank people, people get what they did really made a difference. Hmm. So, I think that's my my big, big impact that I would like to create is to create a real gratitude movement.
0: Hmm. So curious. when you say a gratitude, I love it, by the way. I Actually, it's ironic that we talk about this. It's coincidental because I just did a podcast episode about gratitude. So huge topic. I love to talk about it because it's so powerful. It's what keeps me at an energetic high. Throughout the day, you know, when I'm always focusing on the things that I'm grateful for and appreciating what I do have. But when you say a gratitude movement like that, what kind of components do you see in your mind? What pictures come up in your mind about what that looks like? Is it journals? Is it, you said the documentary, I think it got a little scratchy on my end, but yeah,
1: I want to create a documentary and then documentary. coming from the documentary. I'd like to just start having people share on Facebook, share mm-hmm. in, um, in it 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 could be through emails it could be when they go and watch it that they would write a note to somebody mail it actually instead of Mm -hmm. sending it by email sure um how it would be translated and interpreted and, and done i think could be done in so many different ways but the the point is is specific be specific about what you're grateful for mm-hmm. and communicate it directly to the person for whom you're grateful.
0: Mm-hmm. Right I love that. Love it, love it, love it. Where can people learn more about you or you know get in touch with you? What's the best way to, for people to connect?
1: So, the best is through our e- email or the website. The website is www.build, B-U-I-L-D, then the number two, morrow, m-o-r-r-o-w.com. So, buildtomorrow.com and also Lois, L-O-I-S, at buildtomorrow.com. Love mm. to be connected with any of your listeners.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'll put, um I'll put a link for your website in the description of this episode for anybody who is interested. Um, and yeah, anybody who else is interested, a free gift for me is of course my workshop. It's about three keys to help you accelerate your dreams. If you have a big dream like Lewis does, then this will be able to support you. in that'll give you three frameworks that you can use right off the bat to accelerate those dreams and get crystal clear with the vision because with a vision, we can see steps a lot easier to get us to where it is that we want to be. My gift to you, even if you have no idea what it is you want to pursue, this workshop can still absolutely help you. Just go to jamesallencoaching.com slash workshop. I'll also put a link in the description. Lois, do you have any final words or thoughts for the listener?
1: No, I love that idea. Of you know, We all have dreams. And, but we, many times we dismiss them because we think, yeah. well, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Yeah. I don't have the skills. I, mm-hmm. I'm not this, I'm not that, right? And the people who have done the most had dreams and they just move past their doubts. I think of um, Cunningham, who was oh, I, way back early 1900s won the Olympic gold medal as a runner. But Mm -hmm. he had grown up, very poor family, and had to run an errand for his family to get groceries. And in the process, um, got frostbite. Mm. And the frostbite turned to gangrene, and the doctors were going to cut off his toes um, on one foot in order to preserve his life. And he said, No, I can't run. My dream is to run the Olympics. And the doctor said, but we don't have much time to get this gangrene under control. And his mother said, What will it take? And he said, Well, we've got to keep this from moving up the leg. If you can ice the leg, massage, you know, keep keep the leg, the 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 toes draining, we perhaps can managed to not amputate the toes and so the mother didn't sleep for many days making sure that the toes were being cared for and he was able to recover from that and he did go on and win the Olympics. So you know here it was wow. he had everything against him the belief system been you know what life dealt me a really hard blow. it ruined my dream but instead of that, He just looked at how do I keep massaging this toe now that it's healed, keep the circulation up so I can run. And he was a phenomenal runner.
0: Mm, That's such an amazing story. I love it. Yeah. I've never heard that story before. What's his name again? One more time.
1: Cunningham.
0: Cunningham. Okay. I'm going to look that up and look more into that because that's such a good story. Wow. Thank you for (laughs) closing with that. Um, I feel like I could talk to you all day and we've uh, just about touched an hour. So definitely gone over, but that's okay. Cause it was a, uh, it was a fun interview. So thank you so much for your time here. Thank you for the listener for sticking through with the whole thing. Um, take what you learned here and get out there and make your own massive positive impact. We'll see you in the next one.